You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast with just Katie today. And joining me for an interview is Lanice Bent. Lanice Bent has enjoyed a long career as an audio engineer and producer, honing her skills on many iconic records, including Aja by Steely Dan and Breakfast in America by Supertramp. She is the first female engineer to receive a platinum album for Blondie's Auto American, which includes the very first hit rap song with music, Rapture. Lanice is also a post-production audio professional, specializing in recording and editing Foley sound effects for many films and animated series, and has traveled the world for DreamWorks, supervising the foreign dialogue recording and producing the vocals for such animated features as Shrek, Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, and Shrek 2. She also archives and repairs audio, instructs, consults, and holds workshops for audio students and singer-songwriters. She is a long-standing member of many audio organizations, including the Audio Engineering Society, Sound Girls, and the Producers and Engineers Wing of the Recording Academy. Though mostly working in digital recording formats, Lanice recently produced and engineered an all-analog recording with blues rock indie band Primal Kings, recording to two-inch tape, mixing to half-inch, and cut to vinyl from tape. A AAA legacy quality production, recorded and mixed completely out of the box. To know more about Lanice Bent, visit lanicebent.com. Don't worry, this is totally edited. So, <laughs> so Thank that's the goodness lovely for thing. that. Oh my god, I know. We're just having too much fun over here. We yes, are. This... As we should. As sound girls always do. As sound girls always do. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's um I'm already having a blast. Um and I wish everyone could witness it. <laughs> but now we're like the, now we're in business mode. <laughs> Me too. No laughing. No, no laughing. more fun. This is this serious. Is very serious. <laughs> this is audio. <laughs> Sound girls are extremely serious. Yeah. That's why you've been doing it so long, right? Because of all the, the, the little fun you have. I never have any fun. That's why I've been doing this for way before most of you were born. And that's for real. So. Okay, so I was spending the past couple hours listening to some interviews with you, and I was like, oh, they're asking everything oh, really? I want to ask, but also, what a legend. Oh, well, you can ask anyway. Yeah, you don't mind? It's like, how does that feel? Oh, I don't mind. I don't always remember what I said. <laughs> okay, perfect. See, this is a good opportunity for you to, like, oh, really? Well, but you said before Ooh, you did this. This is going to be hard-hitting journalist. I'm about to call you on your answers. Yeah, well, sometimes <laughs> I wish somebody would. You know. Oh my God. It's going to be me. It's a little 26 year old Katie, the student, the audacity. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? It's always a learning opportunity for everybody, including myself, Katie. So that's what I'm hearing. I love talking to women in audio who are just like, you're always learning and it takes yeah. the pressure off. Uh, if you're really into it, you want to keep learning because it keeps evolving and changing, especially now. Things are so evolutionary and plastic in the sense that it's, you know, quite movable. And what that allows also, the more you know, the more ways you can figure out how to do stuff. Uh, but it's fun to learn new stuff, I think. That was always your approach? Because sometimes I find it daunting. Well, not everything's a lot of fun to learn, but I love knowing how things work, whether I'm the one working them or not, because I can at least have an intelligent conversation with whoever I'm working with on my team about that thing. Right. Yeah. So have you actually found yourself in a position where you're like, I don't know how to articulate this because I don't know enough? 
Oh, gosh, all the time, especially working in a studio or in a post situation. And there's a lot of technology going on and and there's a tech person there. And um, this was one issue that um, used to always drive me nuts is that I would need to know how to do something right now. And I didn't need to know the backstory. I didn't need to know all that stuff. And because um, time is money, time is money, time is money. Mm-hmm. And um, the tech would say, well, you know, and start mansplaining to me and in, in using, you know, five syllable words and stuff. And I'd, and I'd go, I already know you're smart. I already know you're really smart. You don't have to prove that to me. I need you to tell me in a way that I can understand. I'm not stupid, but I don't know how this works. You need to communicate with me right now. That's uh, something that uh, you will probably come up against and um at I some point yeah and and just tell them look at i already know you're smart i i can tell you you know how to use great big words to describe something really simple <laughs> just call it out like that <laughs> well uh, that's what i've done like how do they react do they go simple or are they mad <laughs> well yeah they and and it wasn't because i'm a simpleton it was like you're you're wasting everybody's time here by you know showing us how smart you are i like that yeah. approach i uh, i really respect that and i guess listening to the videos of you today the some of the interviews <laughs> i get this sense that you're um kind of a no bullshit gal super driven uh, you keep busy. Well, again, it's because this is what I really love doing. And uh, I don't really know what I would do uh, if audio wasn't a part of my world. It's always been since I came out of the shoot, I think. If, and I think back to when I was little tiny, I was always listening to the radio. I have older brothers and sisters, so they all had records and record collections and all of that. And uh in fact, I have a sister who's 16 years older than I am, so we run that gamut. So I got to hear all kinds of music, plus what my family listened to, my parents. And so I was always listening to music, always listening to the radio, but I, I was just so drawn to it. In fact, when little friends would come over after school, I would say, let's listen to this record and listen to this record and this, listen to this. You know, I'm like seven or eight years old, and my mother That's gently so one day said... Um, you know, maybe you would want to uh, play a game or do something because not everybody likes to, you know, they don't like records as much as you do. And it was like, what? Like, what they do don't? you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, <laughs> Why not? what do you mean by that statement? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really? Why wouldn't they want to listen to music? So, so it was like that. And then I was in an orchestra and, and we recorded when I was like, eight, nine, and 10 years old in this um, Compton Youth Festival Orchestra. And we made records back then. And I had an older brother who worked at an electronics store, and he brings stuff, equipment home to fix. And I loved the smell of the tubes heating up and the solder and all. Those were the things I resonated with, and those were the things that I liked. So when you look back in your life, when you're at a certain point or you're doing that career thing or you've chosen a career path in relation to that and then you go oh well this makes perfect sense doesn't it you know it all lines up and I think I'll do this when I grow up uh, and I'm, I'm still waiting to grow up so uh. <laughs> I <love that. laughs> really I mean 
you know, it does. I don't feel any different. Um, I know I am, but I don't feel any different. And my enthusiasm and my passion for recording is um, well in place, as it always has been, thank goodness. And as a result, opportunities arise all the time. Um, just yesterday, somebody that I worked with many long years ago on a record found that quarter-inch two tracks for those and is getting them archived and wants to do some remastering and can I uh, oversee that and, and produce that so we can release it. Yeah, this is a, a girl band from uh, 1973. Yeah, it was wow. a live show that they did and um, they um, dug it up and they contacted me and do I want to... Uh, you know, digitize it for them so they can listen to it. And then they want to um, re-release some things and, you know, getting the band back together. And they're oh doing, uh, there's, well, there's a um, documentary being made about them and um, hmm. other female artists of uh, uh, Venice Beach back in the 70s. And these are actually people older than me. And that's going to be this great documentary. And they said, oh, well, do you do live sound or do you do production sound? And I said, yeah. And they said, oh, gosh, well, would you want to do this with us? And I said, sure. I love how you're just like picking up projects over the week. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. And uh, for me, all of that sounds like lots of fun. And I get to meet all these iconic women from before that uh, have not gotten the recognition that they clearly deserve. And so by all means, I'm your girl. <laughs> please, please pick me, pick me. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm really looking forward to that doc. Um, actually, it'll be a lot of a lot of different um, women, artists, singers, songwriters, and these bands from the '70s. And yeah, I have to play them to listen to them to find out what's on them because there's no. Um, this is early what they use, what they call now metadata. Mm -hmm. You know, these are tape boxes and somebody did some lovely um, scribbling on this. But as far as what's on it, um, not so much. Um, metadata is extremely important. Everybody who is recording, yes. <laughs> please get your information because you never know, you know, 50 years later, you may want to do something with it and you want to hire somebody to help you do it. And they need to know what they're listening to. Yeah, if you want to monetize it, it's, it's. Uh, I don't know who played bass. I don't know who, where it was recorded. I don't know any of that stuff. And maybe by this point, those people aren't alive. Right, yeah. So start <laughs> the metadata. So tape yeah. boxes and dates, that is the most important thing. When it was, because you can have several, but if you have, and this is for post-production too, this is very mm -hmm. important, you need your latest version of something. Please write it on the box. Thank you. Yeah, very important. <laughs> That's very important. <laughs> uh, like, how did you get into um, archiving? It's just very interesting to me because there are so many, so much music that was recorded ages ago on tape that um, actually in the old days, the older tape is much more durable than the stuff from the 70s and in 80s and because whale oil was used as the adhesive to adhere the oxide to the backing and right. it 
it was uh, much more durable. So you can put up a tape from the 50s and early 60s and um, it'll play. You don't have to bake wow. it. You don't have to. There's no, you know, oxide getting on the heads or anything like that. Uh, plays really well. And a lot of music was done like that. I had an uncle who, this is how I got into that, since you asked. I had an uncle uh, who was a great singer. Um, he was kind of uh, Americana, bluegrass. Um, he was just this incredible picker, and um, he would record himself. This was back in the 50s and, and 60s, and uh, he passed away and uh, from cancer, and my my aunt gave me all of his quarter track recording so there were some cassettes there was you know he wasn't a professional but he would record himself in playing with other people who were really great and uh so as a family gift i ran it through pro tools which back then was i think it was 3.1 way long time ago and um balanced everything eq'd things so they would have continuity so i kind of mastered all of this stuff and right. uh, put out um, CDs to give to the family members for Christmas. Wow, that's a nice gift. That's very yeah, lovely. and it was really wonderful. And and I loved doing it. It was fun. Each recording had different um, pluses and minuses. Excuse the pun, the audio pun. Um, <laughs> and uh, so you have to. That's the whole point of mastering is to get a, a kind of a signature sound is what you want. So there's continuity throughout the entire CD. Yeah, that's uh so you, I guess you know how to master too because you're like you're like an all you're an audio pro across the board. <laughs> well, you know what? I know enough to know um to hire pros mm. to do that. Um I I do not master my own music at all because um that I've produced and engineered and worked on, I'm too close to it. I can't right. be objective about it. I need to hire somebody that all they do all day long is make hit records and master songs. And right. so they can take my record and they can tell what it needs to be uh, radio ready now, you know, because people still listen to radio and, I can pretend to make it sound good, but they know uh, the delivery requirements to uh, have it sound good in uh, Spotify and, and Apple Music and Tidal and whatever. So a real mastering engineer, that's what they do because they know that. They have their equipment chain that they have developed. And it's kind of like, um, you know, sound engineers, we all have our own signature way of doing things. And somebody who wants to work with Chris Lord Algae, it's because he likes to use SSLs and he has a particular sound and all of his stuff. And Sylvia Massey has her sound. Leslie Ann Jones has her sound. I have my sound because that's what makes us happy. So that's what we put on it. And that's, of course, we want to capture the vision of the artist. And that's our job is to interpret that, but also guide that as a, as a producer. That's my job is to interpret it emotionally and musically. And as an engineer, I interpret it technically. And I enjoy the combination of the two. Like a lot of times there are some producers who don't want to push any buttons. And there's a lot of engineers who 
are very musical engineers, but they're not producers. They can't arrange vocals. They don't play an instrument or whatever, which I highly recommend. It will really enhance your audio recording skills if you can play a musical instrument and know how to speak the language because uh, hopefully you'll be working with real musicians and that's a that's an international language you know and you say well go to the coda or you know let let's modulate this half tone here or you know a little more pianissimo here I, I gotta catch up <laughs> I don't know these terms <laughs> Well, and and they're easy to learn. You know, right. get a yeah. get a ukulele or get a you know a keyboard, and start teaching yourself. You know, basic chord progressions, so you can speak the language and you can also bring something to the table. My advice to people is that um, don't necessarily want a hit career; you want a long career. So you have to make yourself worthy of that. So you can accept um, projects other than this one area that you thought you wanted to work in. When you start out, you don't have any real idea, most people, what all the options of audio are. Audio is so important to everything, especially to picture. You know what they say, um, picture without sound is just surveillance. Oh, I haven't heard that, but I really like it. Isn't that fun? Well, it's true. Yeah. a movie without the sound, the sound and the music and, you know, the sound design and getting the dialogue right so everybody can mm-hmm. hear it and all that. The emotion that gets created through sound is absolutely essential. You know, so you get this thing and it's just production sound and hopefully they captured the dialogue well, but that's about all production sound has to have in tv hopefully it can pick up more and you can use more of the production sound but everything else is built in post yeah because also you have to do a foreign version of uh, anything that you want to sell internationally that you want to make more money on than just domestically so they Mm -hmm. have to be able to take out that english language but all the music and sound effects have to be in place so that's called creating um, foreign M&E, music and effects track. Yeah, I know you um, found yourself doing that um, after doing music for a while, and then you kind of went to audio post. But you started with M&Es, right? Uh, for Disney movies or Disney productions. Well, I'd gone away from music for a while. I uh, I got sick. I, I got cancer. So I had to, quote unquote, by my doctors, quit your job or die. Harsh orders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty intense back then. And um, that was after the uh, Blondie record that I, I did. So here I'm going, yay, I'm moving up. I'm first platinum record. Yay. And the day after I mastered it, I ended up going down to Mexico and checking into a cancer clinic but i'm here to talk about it so um yeah that's it was worth it um so i didn't work for about eight years for a variety of reasons i, I took a hiatus um just to get away from everything and and literally i i didn't even live here most of the time i was down sailing boats in the caribbean <laughs> taking boats around for people um oh, lovely. yeah um that's very real you know so um so i got well and it was great and then I came back and um, had to go to work. And the music business had changed dramatically as far as how much money you could make. And so many people I knew who had been making 
records had gone into post-production. So through the help of my colleagues, I've scored a really wonderful job starting out for a post house that did foreign music and effects tracks for Disney International. And uh, they wanted to make the entire Disney cartoon catalog able to be dubbed in foreign languages. So that was my first gig. And what was cool about that was I had to deal with uh, pulling out all the dialogue and where the holes were. I had to fill it with optical noise, for one, because all those old films had this noise. So you put that in the holes. And then any sound effects uh, that they had, that had to go in the hole. Um, and in, and then there was a, a composer who would score the music to fit in the hole. So when you played it back, it would sound like the cartoon, except nobody said anything. And then it could be dubbed in any language. So, And then I had to mix it. So that was very cool because typically there were different people who did those jobs individually if it were a domestic. You know, there would be the sound designer, there would be the music editor, and then there would be somebody else who would mix it. Well, we had to do it all. But, you know, it's a 10-minute cartoon, three-minute cartoon. (laughs) I mean, that stuff takes a long time, three minutes, like because I'm in film school and three minutes is like, oh, my God, I'm tucked away for hours. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it would be fun. You'd get to, you know, uh, if Minnie Mouse was crying and Mickey was going, don't cry, Minnie, don't cry. I would be Minnie Mouse. You know, I would listen to what she did and then I would copy it, you know, emulate her with my voice or any sound effects, you know, like birds. The one I almost passed out, it was a cartoon back from the 30s where it was about Santa's workshop, but there were some broken toys and how he would repair the toys and get them to the children in time for Christmas. And in the old days when you did an operation, they had this this thing that would go up and down and it would be compressing air into, I guess, the ether or whatever. And that was all gone and somebody's talking, so I... I did that whole thing, and I hyperventilated. Lenise, Lenise, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're so committed so, to the job. I love that. <laughs> well, it was fun. It was fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. It sounds like a blast. Yeah, it was. That was my first post gig, and fortunately, and uh, just evolved into more cartoon series and um, domestic, so it wasn't just foreign enemies, and um, I've worked on it ton of cartoon series you know robocop and street sharks and recess and recess was um, the one that stood out to me i'm like oh iconic because <laughs> of course i watched a ton of I, recess. I loved working on recess and um ghostbusters and strawberry shortcake i did her oh and and um i did a lot of sailor moon did you ever watch sailor moon of course course, did a lot a lot a lot of sailor moon well you know it's got to be pretty cool to have an aunt who's like yeah i worked on that (laughs) (laughs) like i I don't know would that steal the magic like people Uh, work on that it doesn't just exist (laughs) yeah well you know that's really interesting that you say that because um my brother and i were put into the screen children's guild productions needed kids 
in the background or kids to do things, they would go to the Screen Children's Guild and and you'd audition and they'd say, you, 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 and you, thank you. And then you'd go on set the next day or whatever. So we learned very early on how things were done. And when they had to do second takes of things, how somebody had to make sure the purse was on the same shoulder and all these different things. So he and I became no fun at all to watch TV or movies with, um, with our little friends because we go, did you see that? Did you see that her purse is on the other shoulder? So it does, uh, it does ruin. (laughs) Actually it's fun for us, but it ruins it for anybody else that you're with. (laughs) I obviously am very curious about um, Shrek because you worked on Shrek and Shrek 2. That's kind of like, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I did. Um, that was in foreign dubbing. Um, I was supervising the uh, Brazilian version of Shrek. And then for Shrek 2, I did the Greek and Turkish versions. So because it was cheaper to send me over there to oversee their foreign version, um, because they have like 30 actors. But also the thing about foreign dubbing, supervising, the the main point is to make sure the vision of the actual film is in place, that they understand what it's really about, because the, the meaning of Shrek was that you don't judge people by what they look like, because he was just a normal sort of guy, but he looked like an ogre, and everybody thought he was mean and nasty. So in other languages, uh, it's not a translation that you make, it's a, an adaptation. So I had to say, you know, this is this is what Shrek's all about. He's just this nice guy who wants to live in a swamp and marry Fiona and and um, you know just live happily ever after and um, and just wants people to accept him for who he is and he's a nice guy. And they went, oh wow, we didn't, you know, they didn't get that. So that worked out really well that I was there. And then they were a Muslim country too, so um, things were, you know, jokes that we had that Eddie Murphy was saying here had to be adapted to be appropriate yet humorous for the Turkish viewing audience. Yeah, I never even considered that. So who would call those shots like to adapt the dialogue? The supervisor, the su- that, me. So you would call that? Wow. Yeah, a slew of us that would be sent all over the place. One of the things that uh, was really important to me with my audio career is getting paid to travel. And it was an excellent way of getting paid to travel. Because it is good to be in person. Well, especially demonstrating stuff and helping people. So workshops, hopefully those will include more travel. But the back to what your question was, the supervisors, uh, you go over the script and with the translator who spoke English but didn't understand all the nuances and colloquialisms, that, that would make a very funny joke. And they wouldn't get it, so they'd miss it entirely. So when I was doing Shark 2 in, in Greece and Athens and, you know, I knew but it was in English and I laughed really hard and I thought it was really funny and nobody was laughing. And I said, wait a second, that's a really funny joke. What does it mean in Greek? And it was something really banal, like, oh, he went through the door, you know, <laughs> and this was day one. I said, okay, we're calling the session. Everybody, you know, order some pizza, get some beer. We're going to have a joke writing party. 
let's just sit around and I'm going to go through the script and I'm going to point out all the funny bits and we're going to figure out what's funny in in Greek. In Brazil, doing Shrek, there was, uh, do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Man, the Muffin Man. Well, they didn't know who the Muffin Man was <laughs> in, in Rio, and why would they? Um, and yeah. so I said, well, this is a nursery rhyme that, and nursery rhymes are uh, were written back in uh, Old England, and they actually talked, it was the way they portrayed the news without getting caught. They wrote these little songs that were depicting what life was like back then. So um, I said, what do you have, that, a children's song that you remember back in the day and when you were little and they said oh well there was a soldier with a three-cornered hat and I went okay fit that into there and then they got all excited because they could relate to it well how long was your stint in um post-production because you obviously came back to music and like mm-hmm. what was that like I'm well I still do it on occasion I just shot fully for a, a foreign film no, it was a local film going, a, a short film that went to the uh, Italian Film Festival in Milan. Um, wow, congrats. And, and that was That's fun. Cool. Um, so that was a couple months ago when I was actually hardcore working at it. Uh, I did it for about 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, and becoming a foreign dubbing supervisor is what got me back into making records again because my job why I was brought in there. It was the films that they put me on had um, singing, had music. And so they would have star talent perform those songs. Uh, and so the vocal had to be produced. After Shrek 2, um, I came back from Turkey and I was just going, oh man, I really want to make records again. Because the, the artists that I worked with there, here you know, you do background vocals. It was for a song called um i'm holding out for a hero and um and uh (laughs) in turkey they they have uh, 12 tones for every whole note that we have and so it was not easy you couldn't put background vocalists together to do the harmonies and then double it and then that's it uh, here, each one had to do it separately because they can't do that together because they're, that's not how they sing there. As a producer yeah. and, and supervisor, you go, wait a second, instead of two passes, that's like one, two, three, four, 12 passes. So that's, you know, studio time. And yeah. I had to call DreamWorks and say, um, this is what's going on here, studio time-wise, and this is why. And they said, well, figure it out. So we got through that. But um they had hired as the star talent because that's what sells movies in other countries. Uh, this wonderful young opera singer, and she was great, but she was a little stiff for singing in Turkish. I'm holding out for a hero. So I went to her and I said, "So when you were a teenager, did you ever go into your bathroom and take your hairbrush?" And put on your favorite rock song or pop song of your favorite artist, like Madonna, or <laughs> and sing along in the mirror. And and you, did you ever want to be a rock star? And she went, Yeah, yeah, I did, I did. I said, Now's your chance. Now's your chance. You get to do that. Isn't that great? And she went, Oh wow. So. She went out in the studio and I went out there with her and I performed it like a, you know, like her best audience. And I was rocking out and, and 
you know, directing her. And she just let it go. She tapped into a part of her she didn't know she had, and it was brilliant. And she was a changed woman. And the next day she came and brought me all these wonderful presents and all of this and just saying how Aww. how it, it changed her life and and you know I, yeah to have wow. that kind of effect on somebody and it worked so beautifully for the movie um i went man i miss this i want i got i really want to do this again and um so i get home and uh, the next day I get a phone call out of the blue for somebody I recorded, a great blues singer and R&B singer named Janiba Magnus. And she was supposed to produce this uh, blues record. And she had gotten nominated for a blues award and um, had to go to, to Memphis and um, do all this stuff. And she wasn't going to be able to do this record. Did I want to produce this blues record? And That's I faithful. and engineer engineer and produce this record, and I said absolutely. You know, uh, you make a lot more money in post. You know, I'm not going to lie, but creating and working with artists like that, um, I just love it so much that I make room for that. Um, that's that's my happiest thing to do. Um, however, I love all the other things, and they allow me to be able to afford to record music with independent artists that I really like. And um, it's got to make me happy. It's got to make them happy. And hopefully it'll make some money too. Yeah, um, that's just the bonus. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, that's our goal, you know, is is to be able to support ourselves by doing this thing that we love. And um, there are ways to do it um, that are changing all the time. Um, So um, that's another reason to not just learn new technology, but learn the business end of it, uh, especially mm-hmm. as an independent. Um, and the metadata is really important, so you get paid. You know, they have yeah. to spell your name right. And with a name like Lenny Spent, they always often think I get it wrong. And it's really hard to change it in, um, you know, all music or any of those sites. Once they put somebody puts it in there, um, it's really hard to change. So you've got to be diligent about giving them the right information. I feel like we're getting like unconventional advice, like not what I expected, but I'm, I'm, I love it. I dig it. This is very good. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, I figured this is some of the most valuable information you can get to succeed and to be able to navigate these waters of the audio industry whether it's live sound, production sound, post-production, dialogue, recording ADR fully. Uh, and I know I'm leaving out a gazillion other areas. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of areas. They all come with their own special um, requirements and issues and challenges and rewards. Yeah, so music is is the one, though. Music is the one that sings to your heart it does it does i'm you know it's fun to do sound effects for cartoons and and you know um i worked on this show called mad tv that was like saturday night live and it had these cartoons called spy versus spy and especially with animation and gaming and all that the one thing that that really makes it uh relatable 
besides a human voice, is human sound effects fully. So in Spy vs. Spy, uh, when it's comedy, timing is really important. So um, my two Foley artists, the guys would be out there and doing it, you know, faking an explosion or doing weird noises because somebody always blew up, you know. Um, <laughs> they would do it and it would sound correct, but I wouldn't laugh because I was, you know, mixing it. I was recording it. But then they would do it and I would just fall off my chair laughing because the timing was just perfect. Well, yeah, comedy is timing, right? It's crazy because I think you you must transfer like your musicality, you seem to have a very good comedic sense um, because you <laughs> hosted a comedic writing party in, you know. Um, <laughs> well, I know what makes me laugh, you know, and, yeah, and I like to yeah. laugh. Um, yeah, but the timing is really important. And that's the other thing I want to impress upon people, that audio is is not just visual where you're looking at your Pro Tools or, you know, Logic session, any of these sessions, and they don't completely line up, um, please listen. Please don't make it just looking at your screen and lining everything up because you don't want it perfect, but you do want it right. You want it to, you want to sell that song. You want to sell that, that groove. You want to sell that uh, cartoon. And it may not always be perfectly lined up. But if it sounds funny or if it gets an emotional response or is slightly out of tune, like a blue note, you know, don't melodyne everybody. Um, you know, sometimes they meant to swing, you know, please use your ears. They're the Use your the ears best. and audio. Imagine. <laughs> imagine that. Isn't it crazy that I even feel like I need to say that? It, it kills me because... Uh, and you can't blame people from looking at the screen all the time, but please listen. And sometimes just don't look at the screen, just feel it, just mm -hmm. feel that vibe. And, and, you know, I guess because I started out without a screen, right. you know, we didn't have that. We had, to, all we had was our ears and, uh, and our vibe. Trust your gut. There's, there's a wonderful word that um, Piper Payne, uh, mm -hmm. used in an article in Tape Op magazine that it was just, I, you know, I want to needle point it or etch it in stone. It's called listening. It's, it's when you listen somatically. And what that means is you're listening with your entire body. And because that's what I do when people say, wow, I really like how you got that sound on this. And, you know, what were your settings or what? Up? I don't know. I just know when that bass sounded right there. I got the dial in the right sound or moved the mic around or changed the direct box or used a different compressor or, you know, less compression or whatever. All I know is that I get this sensation in my body that, ah, that's it. That's right. Every, you know, different parts of the body, we are receptors. We, we are frequency responsive. And, um, yeah. And we hear with our entire body, not just our ears. I like this approach. That is, it's making me feel something in my body. I got goosebumps because go. I there love you, that. Yeah, it's, well, it's true. You know, when you do get goosebumps, when something just sounds right, um, and it doesn't mean it's perfect. It's, it, most of the time, it doesn't mean it's perfect. It just sounds right. And if 
sounding right happens to be perfect, well, that's okay too. But you <laughs> want that. it to sound <laughs> right. I, I, I'm curious, like, uh, sorry, I have so many questions for you. And I got to say, because I've been listening to you all morning, mm-hmm. I'm so impressed that we went on in a direction that I haven't heard yet. Oh. Like, you know, yeah, well, I'm loving these stories. You know what? I've, I've never really gone in this direction either. So, you know, it just keeps evolving. So often it's about, you know, music and women, and that's all important too. But we hear that so much. And I think it's important to um, broaden people's scopes as to what you can do with sound and right. how... Every one of these things that I've been talking about, I can still do, and I still do when I can, but because I can do a variety of things, I have a very full, rich, um, you know, uh, career. Yeah. How does that feel? Like, just, I don't know, being someone people consider like a legend. I don't know. How does that feel? Um, I don't think like that because... um, because there's so many really good, because my community is people who do what I do. I was fortunate when I started at the village, and I know you heard this, there were uh, eventually four women assistant engineers there. There were two guys and four women, and uh, and one female maintenance engineer, <gasps> Wendy Bluth. She was fabulous, but she, yeah, and the funny thing that we all had in common one thing that we all enjoyed was uh cars and classic cars and um <laughs> yeah and it was just it was just the funniest thing that was just part of our you know thing that we had in common and a fun thing to do was to go to the the car show every year at the convention center <laughs> together and look at cars and classic cars and new cars and you can't do that That's with so everybody, and that wasn't necessarily an audio thing, but I I think it was consistent with how our engineering side and right. design yeah. side and um, just things like that. We had those things in common, you know, and not just audio. And we and there wasn't a, a jealous bone in the bunch, you know. If if there was a project that was coming up that you know all of us wanted. Um, and the studio manager was the one who would put, uh, assign you to whoever you were working with, but, um, um, we would be just as, uh, happy for whoever got that, that gig. We were best friends all the way to the end. I'm the only one left. The other three have passed away due to cancer, um, different ones. And, and that was really tough, um, because they were my best friends. But if if one of us was up for a gig and the other one wanted it or whatever, um, whoever got it, we were just as happy for it. And usually it was quite often it'd be like, oh, thank God I didn't get on that project. <laughs> that happened a few times. We were yeah. like, oh, phew, gosh, dodged that bullet. Um, yeah, but uh, anyway. You know, so you just never know. I think right action is always taking place, whether you know it or not, and just go with it. And, you know, if a door closes, a window opens, all those sort of things. Um, There are reasons why things happen the way they do that we don't know about. And um, 
so other things can happen. Wow. It is really nice to hear you say this. I feel very inspired talking to you because I think your philosophy on life helps facilitate such a fruitful career and like a, a life of adventure. And I think it's so awesome. Well, thank you, Katie. Well, I, uh, I have to agree with you on that. Um, it has a lot to do with uh, wanting to do this thing so much that um, you figure it out. But it also, it's like a magnet. Um, people can feel it or they, they want to be a part of it. But, you know, if, whatever anybody is passionate about, that's always inspiring to somebody else. I can tell, <laughs> like, I can imagine what it's like to, you know, work with you uh, in the <laughs> studio. Because that story about um, the, you know, singing with the, the hairbrush, I imagine <laughs> you take that approach to the studio all the time to get people to get the energy, right? Like, and that's part well, of why you're so good at this. Oh, well, thank you. Reason. Well, thank you. Well, that has a lot to do with it. That's an engineer producer's job is to, um, to inspire and then capture. Right. You know, and uh, because that's, it, it's all about the performance. And you can, once again, it can, sound correct and it can look correct but if there's no emotion there or there's not that thing that makes you go oh oh you know or gives you goosebumps and tears in your eyes and i have to say sound effects don't always or ever do that for me but (laughs) (laughs) but music does and um yeah that's what i i got to kind of have in my life you know goosebumps and tears in my eyes about something you know, or I'm not alive. Pinch me, pinch me. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. I love that. I love that. I, Linus, this has been so awesome. My face hurts from smiling, talking to you. Like it's just been so great. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Anytime, anytime. I'm, I'm just love talking about it and meeting you and being a part of sound girls and doing anything I can to facilitate whatever I can to um, help anybody move forward and understand what this career is about. (laughs) It's hard to understand, but you know, um, it makes me, gives me great joy as you can tell. Definitely. And um, I just want to shout out the interview that you did with sound girls, the living history project. Cause that was, I was listening (gasps) to that and it was really awesome. Yeah. It was really, really good. Thank you. So, Thank you. <laughs> well, I hope the whole point of doing this for me is to inspire others and to encourage others and empower others to know that um, if that's what you really want to do, you can do it. And, um, you know, don't let anybody talk you out of it if that's what you really want to do. And at least try. And if you find out you it doesn't work for you, that's okay. But at least you tried you know, and, uh, and you found out on your own. Oh my God. Everything you said is really good. Thank you. Thank you for joining in and viewing this. And I hope you enjoyed yourself at least half as much as I did. And, um, and so great to meet you, Katie. And, um, how are the sound girls? Thank 
Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Visit soundgirls.org for more information. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of interviews with audio industry veterans. The project seeks to highlight the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. Interviews are conducted by Sound Girls members with guidance from experienced interviewers in the audio industry. Interviews will be available publicly in our Living History Project and for educational use and research. Our latest episode of the Sound Girls Living History Project features Christina Milanusic interviewing Dr. Rebecca Mercury. Dr. Rebecca Mercury's life and career has been an eclectic mix of music and technology, with bachelor's degrees in classical guitar and computer science, master's degrees in science and engineering, and a PhD in computer and information systems. Dr. Mercury now, since 2005, provides a wide range of digital investigative and expert witness services for civil and criminal matters. I probably didn't even admit to this, but in fact, being small and the trash cans being very large, we had all our printouts, we'd go into the trash cans. They would hide me in the trash can at the end of the day, and the doors would be locked, and then they'd check, you know, the the facilities people would check and make sure the room was locked, and then I would emerge from the trash can, open the doors to the building, and let my friends in, and we would just basically keep the computer running and program for hours more. We never got caught. We just kept programming well into the night, even in those days, and we just loved it. It was just so fantastic. You can find the Living History Project on the Sound Girls YouTube page, youtube.com slash soundgirls.